Hello, and welcome to the In Bed with Maradona podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Green. After a few trial runs, we've decided to go back to doing what we do best by bringing you stories that enlighten, inform, and entertain. So with that in mind, we're heading to East London for episode one to go and visit the Clapton Ultras. Now, despite not being located in the confines of E8 in Clapton proper and being based in Forest Gate, one postcode down in E7, the Ultras have garnered themselves a reputation for being the most raucous set of supporters in the Essex Senior League, thanks in large part to their big numbers, catchy chants and staunch leftist political outlook. In many ways, they're bigger than the actual club, thanks to the UK only recently catching on to the ultra culture that has been popular in Europe and North America for years. But their support has undoubtedly kept the club afloat, and has kept them more interesting than many of their competitors at a similar level. However, since last season, the fans have been at loggerheads with the club's owner Vince McBean, and have this season taken to boycotting match days in order to prove their point. Mr McBean doesn't seem to think that the Ultras are a contributing factor to the appeal of the club, and has raised prices on the door, introduced stringent searches as well, on the door as well, and is now threatening to liquidate the charity that owns the lease to the Old Spotted Dog Ground, which has been operational for over 100 years. So at the beginning of September, I made my way down to the Old Spotted Dog Ground to speak to a few of the Ultras, as the club took on Needham Market, a full two divisions above them in an FA Cup qualifier, to find out just what's going on in their bid to negotiate with the mysterious Mr McBean. As you're walking up the Disraeli Road towards the stadium, you can hear that sound a mile off. I'd arrived a good 45 minutes prior to kick-off, and I thought there'd be plenty of people around, but on this particular day it was absolutely silent, which I thought was strange. I'd been coming to see Clapton and the Ultras on and off for about three or four years, and the sound of silence that soon to kick-off had never happened before. I walked up to the stadium and along the little alleyway behind the back of it and all the, there was nobody out the front. Usually this is where people gather and the only person there was the man on the door. But up on the main road when I walked around, I saw a couple of people milling about and I decided I'd go and approach them to see if they knew anything or be, would be able to tell me anything about the ongoing boycott. But before I had a chance to do that, they approached me to see if I knew anything about it. I got speaking to one man, uh, I didn't catch his name and I didn't particularly take any names because I thought with the ongoing legalities of everything involved in this particular case, I didn't think anybody would want to give me their name. But I spoke to a man uh, who'd been going to the club for a lot, lot, going to see the club for a lot longer than I had, also from the West Midlands like me, and this is what he had to say. Okay, so sometime in the middle of last season, Vince unilaterally and without any notice whatsoever just upped the uh, entry price from six to seven pounds on the match day without without an announcement before the match day and introduced fairly heavy-handed 
secure door security that uh, searched bags for cans that he didn't want us to take into the ground. And that was followed by uh, a boycott, large, largely because of the, the arrogance with which he'd approached us, really, because we'd been a, ca- a cash cow for several years, the only club in the Essex Senior League with any serious support, and therefore quite a serious gate cash crop was his and he uh, and he treated us like that after a couple of months of fairly uh, bad faith negotiations on his part he agreed to reduce the price to £6.50 and agreed to introduce concessions which he'd also abolished at the same time but he's periodically uh, been searching people as they go in as well with with a guard which pisses people off and then what happened next is during the close season Vince who is uh, chief executive of the charity that holds the lease on the ground as well as chief executive so called chief executive of the club uh, applied to put it into liquidation at which point the real Clapton who are not, not to be confused with Clapton Ultras but the real Clapton who are, I mean, there are some ultras in them, I think, but the real Clapton dates back to the time when Vince took over the club. When they said he mugged, basically mugged three octogenarians with the promise of a vast investment, which of course didn't materialise. The real Clapton was born at that time and tried to insist on the, uh, on fans owning the club. And in response to Vince's liquidation, the real Clapton went to the High Court and got an injunction which stayed the proceedings. So that's where we are at the moment. And the Ultras are refusing to go to home games because in doing so they would be funding Vince's legal action against real Clapton. So So, all sounds pretty dodgy so far, but what he told me next really, really got me worried. This is the kind of thing you don't like to hear at professional level, let alone at amateur level. So why why has he taken legal action? Well he took legal action Um, nobody really knows but we do know that he's got a track record of uh, asset stripping football clubs he did it at a club in South London and then he did it at Woodford Town he he drove Woodford Town out of existence sold off their land they were reborn uh, sometime later so they've got name like something like Woodford Town 2012 or something and that's Vince's legacy he goes around stripping asset stripping ancient football clubs this ground this ground has been in use since 1888 and Clapton have been playing here since 1888 and he's putting that at risk even though he must be by any standard he, he he's easily the the best remunerated club in the league because no other club has got a fan base why does he do that? Why does he do it? I don't know. It's just straight up, he just goes around clubs. I, I think I think he's got a criminal mindset, to be honest. I really, really do, yeah. He uh, he was in the army when he was just when he came out of the army, he got a job in security, working with someone else who he'd been in the army with, and within a month or so of him starting work, the place had been turned over. He was charged. So he's, he's got a long history of ducking and diving, Vince. 
and it could have been easily different if he'd decided to throw his lot in with the fans. You know, he could have he could have retained some some authority within the club, and and the club would have grown and grown because it's well because it is doing the support base is growing and growing. But he's going to kill it all off. At that point, Mr. McBean walked by the actual Vince McBean. He does cut an imposing figure, and he wears a very nice white shirt. And my new friend here decided to give him a few choice words. Nothing derogatory, nothing abusive. But at the one end of the stadium, there's a very large gate, which is usually uncovered. And if you walk by, you can peer through straight onto the pitch and see everything. Uh, But since the boycott has come into effect, Mr. McBean has decided that he doesn't want people to see through anymore and he's covered it with a tarp. And my new friend gently reminded him that this is perhaps a fire hazard, which in reality it is. McBean disappeared back into the stadium and just shortly after some more ultras arrived. These boys were in a good mood because as it turns out they'd just passed him and said something themselves, which my new friend informed me McBean would probably take as a threat on his life and probably call the police at some point. So with kickoff fast approaching and more and more people arriving, what they do instead of going in is that alleyway that I mentioned, they'll go and stand there and they will find crates, old sofas, desks, absolutely anything that will give them a vantage point over the wall so they can still watch the game and support the team. And support them they do. They support them with the same level of gusto as they would if they stood in the scaffold stand. Now, as the first half wore on, the two-division space between the two teams wasn't really showing. Clapton had a really good chance to take the lead but fluff their lines, and then Needham came back and had another good chance. But the teams were virtually inseparable. Needham's ball retention was perhaps a little better, and their class was evident, but they still couldn't force the way through. Now, through the first half, McBean emerged, to my surprise. I'd found a nice little vantage point with a a hole in the wall and I could see almost everything I was directly behind the goal and there he was simple as he was walking by and he was stood in front of the fans he came in for some absolute pelters but I sort of admired the balls of the man who do that even though it is his club he's well aware that he's public enemy number one amongst them and they were really giving it to him I mean, none of it was too bad. It all seemed rather good-natured. But he was posturing. And this is something that apparently he's done before. And it was explained to me that this is quite provocative of him. And he does this quite often. He wants somebody to abuse him, verbally, physically, whatever. So he can call the police. And, weirdly enough, he did. Not long into the first half, two police officers were walking behind me, talking to some of the crowd. As I made my way back up to the Disraeli Road, there was a riot van, a full-scale riot van with perhaps about 10 police officers. Uh, It turned out that they'd been called because, quote-unquote, a fight was about to break out. There really wasn't. It wasn't violent in the slightest, and some of the local residents were walking by and saying hello to everybody. This uh, club is ingrained in the community, and everybody knows them. The atmosphere was good-natured, and the pelters that McBean had received were not abusive in the slightest. So, why he called them is anybody's guess. 
He was simply just trying to put the cat amongst the pigeons. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, well, yeah, 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 I mean, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, the thing is, this path of who's it owned by? It's also owned by the council, the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, like, at the end of the day, if they fall and hurt themselves, it's down to them, isn't it? It's not down to you. Yeah, I know, and a bit of part of me still feels that due. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I know. I, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you've made a made a good call, but essentially, it's down to them, isn't it? So, um, yeah. leave them to it. The two officers then stayed and watched most of the first half, and they seemed pretty pleased to be there. Uh, They knew that the fans weren't going to create any trouble. They knew that they weren't a threat. They were simply worried about their safety being so high up, which is fair enough. And besides, these fans aren't scary at all. McBean had apparently made some rather outlandish claims on his personal blog, which is the actual Clapton website, uh, saying that the Ultras had cost him a lot of money due to crowd trouble, and he'd even accused them of teaching a six-year-old chant with a racist slur in it, which, if you know the Clapton Ultras you'll know that they're the antithesis of that kind of behaviour. So I thought I'd ask about the fans, see if they are intimidating. If you don't know them and you turn up at a Essex Senior League game and there's this bunch of fans there, I suppose they could be quite intimidating, but most of what they do is rather good-natured. So do you get this kind of following at away games as well then? We do, yeah. You get a, it depends on the away game, but you can have anywhere between sort of, you know, 20 for a little game in deepest Essex to, you know, like 500, like we had the other night in uh, Myland. Mm. Really varies. And when you do go away, do you find other fans are intimidated? I don't think so. It's it. It's also, like, all our chants are also good-natured. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh, I don't think away fans are intimidated by it, really. It's, it is also good-natured. Songs are also much, you know, a lot of tongue-in-cheek. Um, a, lot of fan, a lot of, like, uh, away chairmen and away uh, fans are just surprised to have... You know, <laughs> this many people turn up at a game, buying pints and buying pies. During the second half, though, I was introduced to a man who seemed pretty deeply ingrained into everything that was going on. So I thought he'd be the man to talk to. And here he is taking over. There's been, obviously, there's plenty of have been around since 2012. It was a really small group of people that when we first started off. And in 2013, a number of people kind of said we would like to join the club. And at that stage... Um, the guy who claims to be the owner said, oh, the membership is closed for restructuring. Uh, something we've never been able to find out what that means in the entire time since then, right? So, but over the time, we've just been going to the matches and we've been trying to uh, build up the support and increase the numbers that have been coming and so on. And that's been huge fun. And then the issue about the membership has been kind of hanging around in the background, but also the issue about the way the clubs run and the state of the ground and all the rest of those sort of things. So it comes around to April this year and we discover that um, because the the charity that owns the ground, which is also controlled by the same guy, Vincent Bean, um, is under investigation by the Charity Commission because he hasn't filed any accounts for years and nobody knows where the money's gone. His account's been frozen. He's tried to pull a fast one by liquidating the charity and moving the assets to a new a new company, a new community interest company. And we just thought this can't happen, this, because there's a real danger that if you liquidate the, the charity that anything can happen to this. I mean, this is prime, you know, middle of Forest Gate, the brewery could take it back, anything can happen. Right? So there was an injunction that was sorted out preventing that liquidation from going ahead. So fast forward to... Uh, the beginning of this season and the discussions that happened in the run-up to the start of the season we just thought we've been talking about how dissatisfied we are with the way this club's run 
we are really, really pissed off about the fact that, that, that we've almost had that we almost lost the ground. Um, and that the ground is still on, on the threat. That injunction still hasn't been resolved. And cr the other th element to this is that um, all the problems that McBean claims are with the club, he keeps blaming it on the fans. He keeps saying it's because we're rowdy, he keeps saying it's because we've we let off pyro, although that hardly ever happens anymore. Um, all those things have happened again. You know that constant bitter attacks on the fans. We just thought we've got this. Is a, we've had enough. Why? Why has he been attacking the fans? Because obviously you're, you're bringing in the lion's share of yeah. the money, and you think. But it's because he's under a lot. Of, he's under threat because there is an issue about he's being openly challenged about um, whether he actually is able to whether he should be allowed to continue to to have, have control of the club. Because at the moment, Council Football Club is squatting this ground technically. Well, they've got no right to be here because they, they no longer have a, there's no longer anybody they can sign a, um, a, a contract with to, for the season to be, actually be playing on this yeah. ground you know so um, but everything is always the fans fault and we've just said there's a separate effort by the, by what's what's kind of known as Real Clapton FC which was originally the friends of Clapton FC to try and take back over the control of the club which is through a separate legal action about challenging that thing of the restructuring thing, mm. which we think is just completely unconstitutional and um, just makes no no sense at all. So the ultras and the sort of the fans that come regularly have got behind that effort to say now is the time when we have to try and take the control of the club because things are only going to get worse if we don't if we don't step in now. The worst case scenario, what happens? Well, worst case scenario is that uh, that we don't have enough time to make sure that we secure this ground, and there is, you know, something. The fact that it's it's currently still under control of a liquidator um, means that there's some there's some other decision that's out of our control gets made that perhaps another club gets offered to run the ground. I mean, any one, num one of a hundred different things. Or that they just lock the gates mm. and they just say, you can't, you know, nobody can actually use this anymore. Um, leaving our team without a home, you know, in when we've got, we're facing 175th anniversary next April. So, um, it's the uns that uncertainty and the fact that worse things could happen. At some point, you just got to make the decision to say, either we're going to we're just going to moan about this all the time, and you know sing songs about McBean and the rest of it, or we're actually going to do something about it. And the the the, the decision was made to not go not go to home game, not to boycott in terms of you know doing a picket line and telling people not to go in, but just announcing that we're not going to go in. Because lots of people come to these games because of the atmosphere that the ultras bring. Yeah. You know, they go for the experience of not only watching the football, but just you know, 400 mental idiots, right, singing songs all the way through the ground. And they can still do that. You can. But we were at um, Tower Hamlets um, the, uh, the other Friday, and it was brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. You know, Mile End Stadium, 468 people. You could have heard that at, up at the tube yeah, station. Yeah, saw the videos. People can still do that, but they can't. They won't be able to do it here. You know, all the things, all the potential that's there. You know, there's no way the FA are going to give money to a to a club that's running this, this shockingly scandalous 
financial mismanagement. Right? But if we run it and we run it on a solid ground, we could be getting grants soon, we could be opening this up to the local community, we could be running women's football team here. There's all these things that people want to do. But all of it depends on us actually taking over. So is that all part of what you, you would do? And we've got this, I mean, to be honest, you know those things when you sit in the pub and say, what if? Ooh. Those plans have got bigger and bigger because because we've got the numbers. You know, most clubs are in a really difficult position of having very little money and very little people, you know, very few number of people around that were prepared to get involved. I don't think of anybody that could attract a whole bunch of people to stand in an alley and watch, it, watch a, a game over a fence. Yeah. It's very unusual. So. I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and there's a metaphor for us. <laughs> we like to think we will be at one time. <laughs> um, I was talking to somebody earlier and they said that McBean actually has a bit of a history sort of going in the asset stripping clubs yeah I mean it's not something I'm so, so familiar with but I do know that um, there, there, there was a previous club that he was involved in that closed um, I mean to be honest to a certain extent it's um, to a certain I think one of the things is that um, it's there's, there's a history of being involved not just in football clubs but in, in charitable activities of one kind or another where there have been serious allegations of, of mismanagement so there's a, something else that he was involved in which mm. was called uh, this Millennium Project that he was involved in which you can find details about on the Real Clapton FC website if you want to sort of look into it in more detail but um, it's that idea that this is really not run for the benefit of the club but it's kind of this is really just a personal money making thing for a very small number of people mm. um, so it's a different kind of vision for what we want. So when we when we take over, and I'm confident we will, we want to we want to set up a club which is a co-op. We want to be one of the first cooperative-run clubs in the country. We want to have a real sort of maximum kind of um, uh, participation for all these people that turn up on a regular basis. We're going to get rid of the position of chairman because you know sends a wrong message frankly right? this is the 21st century so there's all those little things that we know that we can do but we need to get there first so in the meantime people are going to come down here every time there's a home game um, and hopefully that the weather stays alright you know, that makes a difference yeah. but the way games are going to be the ones that people need to come to they are, because we're going to make a big push on making sure that when there's away games we, we make an effort to show that this is what people are missing if they from coming here. That yeah. if they come to away games, they can see that sort of Captain Ultra's experience. I guess. If people want to help or lend their support, where where would you direct them to? Well, there's a couple of things. One is, I mean, one is to, to come and join us at the away games. That would be brilliant. Um, we are still fundraising for the legal action. So people, if people Google um, Captain Supporters Action Fund, they can find the GoFundMe page that we're using for fundraising for that. Um, and I mean, I, I guess the, the other thing is just to, to 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 kind of be aware of some of the th- the developments that might be coming up soon. So we are planning on getting in court as soon as we can. Um, but you know, it's taking those court cases always take time. Yeah. So the, and most of, a lot of the people here are, are more hands-on campaigners, should we say? So, yeah. um, so we're not completely reliant on on that. But ultimately, it's something that's got to happen. You know. If, if this ground was taken, what would it? Do you, what do you think it would take from the community? Well, I don't think it will be. I think we'll we'll succeed in hanging on to it. And actually, there was an effort that was done again by the fans to have this this um, ground designated under the Localism Act as an asset of community value, and we convinced the council of the case for that. Right. So it makes it much more difficult 
for for instance for for the people that the, the brewery that ultimately hold the freehold of this to be able to set it on for flats but for a lot I mean I've lived in in, in this area for 25 years and for a long time I a lot of and a lot of other people certainly before I started coming to the to the club didn't even know there was a, there was a sports ground here and in the last four years, you go up anywhere around Forest Gate and you say, oh yeah, Clemson Football Club, and everybody knows it. Mm. Everybody knows it, and that's been down to us. We've done that. We put in the effort to make, to make that happen. I was in the bank today, and we were, talk, we were sorting out some account stuff, and the woman in there said, oh yeah, I've heard of Clemson Football Club. You know, that is not untypical. Mm. Um, and so I think we've created a situation where we've, there's, some, there's now something to lose and more people know that. Um, and it would be amazing if we could get more people from this area to be able to come along here, but, you know, so that's what we stand to lose. It was also the baby people have just discovered for the, for the first time recently. Have like, any fans of other clubs uh, have expressed solidarity or support or anything? Yeah, loads. Yeah. Absolutely loads. I mean, phenomenal. I mean, partly because of the ultras particular reputation as being sort of left-wing and anti-fascist so you think of most of the clubs around particularly smaller clubs around Europe from so we've had solidarity messages from Spain from uh, Germany from Italy from mainly from small clubs um, and lots of little little sides around um, around Britain from Bristol and Ma- Manchester and Leicester and all kinds of different places yeah. um, and to a certain extent there are examples that are where other people have have gone gone ahead and managed to turn their clubs into fan-owned clubs, which we are looking to draw upon, you know. So, um, and I think it's something which is going to become more common. You know, and more, I think more and more people are going to. Well, two things. I think more people are becoming disillusioned with Premier League football. Right? Um, I'm a West Ham fan. You know, I can't afford to go to because yeah. I have four seasons of kit. I mean, even despite the fact it's cheaper now at the London Stadium, oh, but really? there's no fucking atmosphere there at all. Yeah. Right? Um, but other people are in the same boat. You know, that this is really expensive, and they want to be something where it's closer to the play, where you can enjoy yourself, you can have a pint, you can, you know, there's not massive numbers of stewards. Um, and I think more people will find that something that they want to do. Non-league does provide that, that potential, and I think. It would be brilliant if we could go to more grounds where there was decent numbers of supporters because, frankly, it would be... The quality of the band that would definitely go up for a start. (laughs) That will happen one day, I'm sure. We do apologise if you struggle to hear any of that, but it is difficult to conduct an interview in the middle of a football crowd. Uh, Clapton lost 3-0 on the day, but it wasn't for the want of trying. But... What was most heartening was, wasn't the performance on the pitch, but the conviction of those in the stands. And there's a real movement going on now. These fans are really looking to take control of this club. Uh, but whatever happens, everyone I spoke to was adamant that they were going to stick with the club. So then, worst case scenario, what happens? Worst case scenario is that, uh, is that we lose the lease and and football isn't played on that ground anymore. Mm. There's enough games around London and near Essex so that we'll keep going, we'll keep going to away games. Even if we can't come back in here for a long time, you know, we've got to be in this for the long haul. Yeah. We're going to be away games and we'll still be doing that all the time, you know, continuing to, to go to all the away games. And if we get control of the club, then obviously we get to change things completely. 
it's worth pointing out almost as a disclaimer that we did actually try to reach out to Vince McBean to get him to give his side of the events, but unfortunately our request uh, was completely ignored. But from what you've heard today, you can get a pretty good picture of what's happening down there. One man who could be a hero, who definitely has a good thing going for him in, in the shape of those fans, has turned his back on all that for reasons unknown. If you want to keep up with what's going on at the club, you can follow them on Twitter uh, at Clapton Ultras, uh, or you can check their website, claptonultras.org, or you can find that GoFundMe page mentioned earlier in the program, which is at www.gofundme.com slash Clapton Action Fund. Well, thank you for joining us for the very first documentary episode of In Bed with Maradona. We really hope you've enjoyed it and look out next month for episode two. Thank you. Thank you.